Now, look, I've spent the whole day getting geared up on the 15-minute city discussion. But um, I just want to say a few things to the channel, and then I, I, I have to talk to you. We have to talk about today's latest edition of the Telegraph lockdown files. Um, <laughs> so just uh, without further ado, everyone, welcome. Thank you for joining this discussion. Again, we host these uh, community calls on this channel, the main Jennifer R. Curie channel, Thursdays at 8 p.m., and I sometimes have special guests that can come on and speak about a topic. Uh, but really, these are about, you know, community calls and discussions, uh, you know, that we can have together as a channel to kind of make way, make our way through this kind of very emotional, volatile, crazy up and down roller coaster that is life <laughs> at the moment. And, you know, we've been discussing uh, the importance of kind of holding our savings in and nominal investments in physical metals. Uh, there's a few places that the channel talks about where to buy them. Recently, we've had a discussion about pensions for those looking to convert their pension into a gold and silver uh, or gold, excuse me, in the UK. Uh, in the US, I think you can try iTrust in the UK, the pure gold company. Uh, and, you know, last week we had a fantastic conversation that really cleared the air around uh, some of the FUD and misinformation with XRP and the buyback in Jimmy Valley. So thank you for everyone that tunes in every week. And I look forward to, you know, talking today and having a lively discussion. I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of remind everyone, check out the uh, past podcasts. We record these discussions and then the fabulous Vicky posts them. Um, we put them on Podbean. So share with a friend if they have not uh, got caught up on some of the latest conversations. And, you know, you can always write me at Jennifer R. Curie to let me know if there's something else that you, you know, really want to discuss with the group uh, or a thread that you think might be valuable to the group. Um, we've been doing this for a year and a half. Gosh, we've been doing this a while. How long? Almost two years. Uh, you know, and, and so this is why we've continued to accumulate vast amount of information and be able to share and keep each other updated. I also particularly love conversations where we get active and I'm hoping today we can talk to Jim and, you know, surfeit some solutions uh, to how we can get active and keep pushing back. Um, I just want to remind everyone on my stance on all this. It's, you know, really to uh, continue, you know, my angle, my agenda here is to remind us all that we don't really need the majority. What we need is that, you know, group of resilience and courageous folk, uh, the people brave enough to keep pushing back. And I think over the last two years, especially running conversations here with everyone, it's been so wonderful and refreshing uh, to be amongst like minds, but people that really take the time to push back whether they're marching through the streets of London or Oxford uh, or a local march or writing, you know, letters and, and submitting information, you know, we got to create that paper trail. We have to continue to show our numbers. Uh, we're not afraid, this kind of thing. And that's where this conversation, you know, about a year or so, I remember saying we have to get to tipping point and tipping point is that mass great awakening, sure, but it's also at the point where things just cannot continue anymore. For example, the Fed, <laughs> they can keep hiking rates all day long. That's what they'll do until eventually this thing will collapse. It will break. 
This is not a long-term sustainable, you know, sustainable solution make. So this is why we have to just keep doing it. It's boring. It's hard. It's arduous and exa emotionally exhausting. But this is why we have a channel and why we have these calls and why I really encourage all of you to, you know, continue to reach out to me and each other and get vocal and, and, and active in local communities. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, before we start this discussion on the 15 minute cities, uh, Vicki, am I still okay? Can everybody still hear me? Have I put you all to sleep? No, we're there. We're good. Sounding great. Okay. Yeah, great. Okay, thank you. And thank you all for being here. Again, I can't say thank you enough. Um, you know, what we're, we're what I want to talk about just for fun, because it came out in the lockdown by these text messages, this insane, you know, leaking, but I, you know, and I, I again, encourage everyone, if you haven't already, check out James Dellingpole's Substack on the topic, uh, how this is a big fat nothing burger, that this is actually controlling you know, the narrative as it seeps through the cracks, trying to, it's not going to break down the dam. In fact, this is just the paper machete, but remember, uh, Mache, but remember back in 2020, remember when they put the restrictions down, uh, you know, you were allowed six people, I think at some point, at six feet apart. I mean, all, all these bizarre numerology uh, correlations, but you know, they, they, they give you enough and then pull back. And then it's like, they keep pushing the goalposts and pushing, and, and I bring that up again uh, to remind everyone, you know, what we went through in 2020, but then also to see how they're doing this again, controlling this narrative to ensure the people they like, right? The people that they want to bring back, <laughs> uh, the people that are going to be coming back, <laughs> essentially, are the ones that are painted in this very, you know, sympathetic way that, you know, the ones that were looking for options and choices and defending, you know, the little man. Um, and this is the same with the 15 minute cities. So this is, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna pitch it. I've spent all day listening to the rhetoric, the propaganda, and I get it. This idea of a small village where you can walk around and buy bread and know your local banker. I mean, this in an ideal world, it sounds fantastic. And, you know, yeah, sure. Walking to the grocery store. Think about a mom with three kids keep walking to the grocery store. Yeah, right. You know, trying to shop for a family on a bike you know this is these are things that are this is not a one-size-fits-all again they're trying to push these goalposts and acclimate and indoctrinate and guide the narrative of where they want everyone to go um, and we're seeing this pattern over and over again you know so you know i i guess this is my opening um jim i'd love to turn the floor over to you just to get your take on uh, good old Isabel and uh, what these these uh, leaks mean. Thank you. Well, delighted to be here and, and just a huge hi to, to everybody over there as well. Um, I appreciate some of your audience are American and, and, and I speak with a Scottish accent, so I hope you'll follow me all right. I'll try not to talk too quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been watching with interest. I actually saw this news uh, breaking last night. I've been spending quite a bit of time on, on Twitter uh, about it today as well. Uh, the, the, the first thing that, that sprung to mind, Jennifer, was the fact that a government minister would hand over his WhatsApp messages that dealt with other government ministers to uh, a known journalist. So that's the odd thing that sparked off to me right away. Now, I know he's not probably the brightest of guys. Uh, I don't particularly rate Matt Hancock 
very highly. And I think his behaviour has been appalling and quite frankly disgusting over the whole issue of care homes, uh, the use or overuse, I should say, of midazolam and other um, drugs that have the opposite effect to help people with respiratory problems. But there was just something about it that didn't quite factor in. And Isabel Oakenshots, who partner, of course, is Richard Tice, who is the leader of Reform UK. And we, we can maybe touch on him a little bit later on because I'm actually connected to him uh, going back a year or two now. Um, but the, the thing that's really I found very, very strange was the fact that she would have sat on this information for, for from what I can gather, uh, about a year whilst she worked on the uh, co-writing the book that Matt Hancock was producing. So she was a co-author on it and presumably getting paid uh, probably a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, an absolute fact or not. But she, she used the um, reason of coming out and portrayed herself as a very virtuous lady rising up and speaking out for the good of the people of Great Britain and probably the world, you know. My only question about that is, yes, I think she's she's right to have uh, spoken out. However, uh, there's there's other concerns about the fact that she broke a legally binding NDA, which stands for non-disclosure agreement. Uh, I've been in business for a long time and in business circles, NDAs are not unusual at all. But when you start to break confidence like that, your career is normally ended. And I've noted with great interest tonight that on, on Twitter and, and to, to a degree several hours ago, that there was a lot of people saying the same thing. So if, if she was doing it out of the goodness of her heart and she really felt that the public needed to know what was going on, why didn't she do it a year ago? That seems to me to be a rather uh, odd thing to do. Yeah, such a great point. And I love how, you know, the few clips that I've seen, they've noted, you know, the use of WhatsApp is encrypted. It's all encrypted. This is what? Yeah, okay, it's encrypted. But any, you know, security, the way in is through the network. So anybody connecting with their Wi-Fi using WhatsApp can still be infiltrated. So was there an attack that stole these conversations or? He literally just emailed an archived conversation between him and the ministers to her. I mean, what did she get screenshots from his phone? Did she take him out drinking and he passed out? I and mean, what is, how, <laughs> how, you know what I mean? This is, and the other one, we're talking about a breach, a breach of a network to which the encrypted, you know, app, you, you can always find a way in, especially with, you know, anyone with half a brain. So th this is where I was questioning. And then these, you know, these these text messages, you guys, come on. These these men have known each other for years. They've campaigned with each other. They've been you know, uh, competitors. You know, at one point, Osborne was up for PM before Theresa May. You know, when he was chancellor uh, with David Cameron. You know, they've known each other. They don't. You know, they have their own little bickerings between among each other. They don't speak in perfect sentences. It's all short formed. I mean, you, Boris Johnson especially is notorious for his one-worded responses. I mean, I've heard this from the Transport of London, you know, the department head at Transport of London. I mean, literally across the board, anybody who's ever had a correspondence with this man knows that it's as small as possible, as little as grammatical errors, spare, spelling errors, 
So not only did they take time to transpose these, you know, create the illusion with the profile pictures and kind of arrange the text messages so that it's easy to see in the public, I think they've taken great pains to kind of compose them in a way that, you know, people can read them and understand. Because internally, these men, you know, do not speak to each other like this. That's not how they text. Yeah, yeah, ab ab absolutely, Jennifer. I think you've made some very, very good points there. And indeed, um, quite a number of people that, that subscribe to me on, on Twitter are, are also raising the fact that, uh, that, I mean, some have actually suggested that this is a little bit of a psyop in itself, you know, a psychological operation. One, one thing that disturbs me uh, and, and does seem to indicate that something possibly has happened between the two of them maybe even Richard Tice, her, her partner, is the fact that she, whilst co-authoring it, uh, I mean, there was no secret that she was co-authoring his book. And sometimes people were asking her questions about that. And just going back to the drug Medazolam uh, a bit, um, you know, he, he's, been, he's been sort of given a nickname of, of Medazolam Matt in Great Britain because of the use of midazolam. And, and I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the, the, the death spikes that we saw in care homes matched almost exactly the death spikes uh, or, or the, the, uh, the use of midazolam in these places. So there is a direct correlation between these deaths and the use of midazolam. Yet when she was asked about it, somebody sent me an email uh, of of hers today, where somebody was talking about midazolam and the fact that this had caused a spike in deaths, and she said, "Oh no, 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 no! That's just a conspiracy theory. There's absolutely no truth to that at all." And so that's another very odd thing. She she's almost been quite vociferously defending Matt Hancock especially throughout the last year where she's been offering or helping to author the, the book that he's produced. It's almost as if they've had a falling out or maybe there is actually something else to it. Now, just going back to an earlier point, Jennifer, that you made, uh, I, I, the way I'm reading it and the way I'm, I'm understanding it, I could be wrong. It looks like he has given her access. I don't think there was a hack. Um, I, I don't think there was a a security breach on his phone, but maybe I'm wrong. The way I'm reading it is that, and of course there will be more clarity that will need to come out and it will come out in time. But uh, the way I'm reading it, he, he, he volunteered the information to her. That's how she was able to get these screenshots that she gave to the, a British telepaper called, te, uh, British newspaper called The Telegraph. So I think there's certainly a lot more information due, due to come out about that. Yeah, and either this is a setup for more, uh corruption you know maybe this is act one and there will be more to unveil as we go i mean this i mean it's just so staged though the way that this has come out um and i find it you know very interesting the timing of it like you said um so jim really quickly i just for those on the call you know just a, a quick like who are you and what's your background and tell us about the brexit campaign yeah sure okay so um I'm, i've been in business for a long time um I've, I've bought and sold many businesses i i sold a lot of what i i have but i i, I maintain my interest in land development uh, i'm big on uh, farming uh, and um 
like you know sustainable traditional farming methods but we're not using a lot of pesticides we use things like natural pollinators we put beehives beside the areas where we're, we're growing crops for example we get fantastic yields you don't need to spray chemicals on them to get to get that so you know traditional hedgerows where we're, we're making um, bird populations and insect populations which once again also help to pollinate the crops so i'm into all of that but my journey started uh, probably when i joined the conservative party and i should point out for your Amer american listeners the uk conservative party is quite different from the Republican Party in America, or, or the you know the Conservatives over there, um, the UK Conservative Party used to be quite traditional. They were strong on defence, believed in a strong defence policy. They were strong in immigration, strong borders. They they believed in growing your own food from a natural, uh, from a national security point of view, because if you've got your own food supply and you're not so dependent on fo on foreign nations, you know all of that sort of stuff. Strong in law and order very strong in policing, used to support the police and the military very, very powerfully. And that's all changed. And I, I, I joined the Conservative Party, uh, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago, became very active as an activist, uh, campaigned in by-elections all over the country, supported other candidates, got selected to fight the European parliamentary election and the Westminster election. I think it was back in 2010. I did all of that but became increasingly disillusioned because I believe in independence, you know, and I, I don't mean Scottish independence, I'm, I'm talking about just independence for Britain. Um, I never liked the fact that unelected bureaucrats in the EU Commission and the European Union would be dictating uh, their terms to us. So for example, they would say for every, you give us a pound. I mean, it was obviously, it was billions, but for every pound that we gave them, they would give us 20 pence back and then tell us how, and then we, they would tell us how we, we could spend that twenty pence. <laughs> I just didn't think that was a good a good deal. And um, they were dragging their heels. You know, I I I I spent time with David Cameron, the previous prime minister, from time to time. He would come up to where I was, and and you know, had chats with him when he when he did. Uh, and he was a nice guy, but he was very liberal in his mindset, um, and and didn't really have any problem with the EU. Whereas a lot of people in the in the party that I knew did so i ended up leaving and when nigel farage uh, launched the start of the brexit party it was at steelworks in coventry i was sitting having a cup of tea at home saw him coming on and something just clicked and i'd watched nigel farage in the european parliament talking about things always admired him always thought he was a very very good auditor he, he was a great speaker and um, i made the decision to go down to the launch of the brexit party at the steelworks in coventry and I went down, and in fact, if you if you Google it, launch of the Brexit Party, Coventry, you will actually see me sitting behind Nigel Farage. I'm on the far right of the picture, wearing a sort of a, a blue and grey striped kind of tie, looking a bit puzzled. And the reason I was looking puzzled, Jennifer, is because I was one of the first there. And uh, a girl that was sort of uh, admitting us into this great big hall told me I had to go and sit on the stage. And uh, I said, oh, I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm nobody important. I'm just here to see what's happening. She says, no, no, I really want you to sit on the stage. So I ended up sitting on the stage exactly where Nigel Farage came out. And I ended up speaking to a few people and I'd been heavily involved with working with police intelligence and, and other things in, a, in previous lives, not government agencies, other things. Uh, I don't want to, to give the wrong idea, but um, 
I told them my background and they were quite interested and they asked me to come to another meeting and I did. And in fact, uh, when I went for my interview, Richard Tice was one of the guys that interviewed me. There were two others there and I was selected to fight in the European parliamentary election. And then not long after that, uh, the, the Westminster parliamentary election. But I became very, very involved, Jennifer, because the, I was number three on the European parliamentary list or the candidate list. And number one and number two, as it turned out, they, they, didn't, they said they didn't want to do live hustings events because they didn't feel confident speaking. They didn't want to go in front of live television cameras and audiences, you know, up against their political opponents, whereas I didn't really give a hoot. Uh, I was happy to go in and fight my, my corner. And of course, it all then fell to me because I was, I was covering a lot of it. But I enjoyed it. And I got very, very more involved with the Brexit party, spent a lot of time in London. And I became a recruiter for the party. So I would end up, as a candidate, I would end up going and interviewing lots of other party uh, uh, applications and candidates and vetting them and interviewing them and seeing what they were like. Um, and then, of course, when the, the general election came up, I was selected to go into a target seat in a place called Barnsley, fantastic place in the, the, the north of England, in Yorkshire. And um, the funny thing was, Jennifer, I'd always been right of centre in my politics, but, but the, the team that I had there were all left of centre, which was rather surprising. But they were a fantastic bunch and they were very, very strong uh, Brexiteers and they helped to support me. And in fact, I and my colleague, came top in the entire country out of all the other candidates uh, in terms of coming closest to winning our seats. So I've had a fair bit of uh, experience in the political field uh, and I, I know what could be done and I know what should be done. But unfortunately, we're seeing high degrees of corruption, not just in Great Britain. We're seeing it in America. We're seeing it all over the place. And there is most definitely a controlling mind that seems to be causing everybody to go into lockstep and, uh, you know, build back better. They're all, they're all chanting the same phrases. It's bizarre. Um, but, yeah, that's my background on the Brexit party, Jennifer. So I have to ask this before we continue. So we all know. <laughs> how red-pilled are you? Oh, how red-pilled am I? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty red-pilled. I took the red pill a long time ago, Jennifer. So there's nothing you're going to tell me that, <laughs> that I haven't heard before. Um, I, I'm... I... <laughs> Can I ask you then, um, because while we're on Brexit and then we're going to go over to 50 Minute Cities, did anyone ever tell you about or say something like, we, the, the election, how do I, how do I start with this, Vicky? Where I'm going. <laughs> I mean, if I or Mullock Brown, do you know who that is? Sorry, just repeat that again, please, Jennifer. If I said Lord Mullock Brown, does that name ring any bells? Uh, Lord Molak or Molak, did you say? Molak, Morlak, whatever his name is, Morlak Brown. Uh, 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 I don't think so. No, no, maybe I'm not as red pilled as I thought. No, carry on, though. Okay, so I was there was a theory that was presented to me that you know, when Nigel Farage came out leading the Brexit party, he was too much of a loose cannon and would not comply or follow orders, so therefore. They presented Boris Johnson because he could be controlled. Uh, and he became the leave face of leave, right? And then actually that these, the, you know, while these are hand-counted votes, because I myself, I don't know if you know, have leafleted for the Tory party. I, I can't believe this. 
I used to pay for business day and go to conferences and I would go to all the events and campaigned and I was fascinated. I mean, George uh, Grant Shapps fascinated me one day, the, for the day I met him, you know, on the way these guys can campaign. Like, they get it down to the house, the number on the street, you know, to the vote that they need. It was, it was a work, it, you know, it was an art, uh, just seeing it. And, you know, even though I had done a lot of campaigning and leafleting, I had seen, you know, that they, they counted the vote and counted, but that they were tabulated at Whitehall um, with the same Dominion software of Lord Mullock Brown. Have you ever heard this? I, I think, am I right in saying he's a major funder? Yeah, and I guess the theory was, just sorry, just to add this one little bit, that we left, it was leave, vote leave. They were supposed, it wasn't supposed to be that, but it was a landslide leave. So they didn't want, they wanted to continue the division. That's why they, the votes were more or less presented as 48, 52 or whatever, you know, that close, remember, because everyone was shocked. They thought for sure we'd say in the EU and then there was a big, you know, Brexit, uh, you know, or the, I remember the campaigns. I, mean, I, I knew the tech people that wanted me to sign over, you know, to say well, I support being in the EU, and I was like, absolutely not. This is, you know, this is great. Let them find their freedom. But this was all controlled in that they put Boris in to control that vote. That you know, so because really it was never about freedom or you know independence as much as the you know the slow control, the demolition, uh, destruction of the economy. The fiat currency. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly um, you're right in, in what you're saying about Nigel Farage. He, he's he's not controllable, and um, I don't actually think that they, they have anything on him. Or at least they, they didn't used to. Uh, and I think that um, the, the powers that be. I mean, there's some very very wealthy people uh, that, that 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 are funding heavily funding these these things. And of course, whatever way it's going to go, they want to be in control of it. They want to manage it. And of course. What I will say about Boris Johnson is he, he was democratically elected by the membership and um, very popular within the Conservative Party. I mean, he, he's, he's got his fault, believe you me. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not particularly a fan, but he's, 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 he's got a personality that people can identify with. And, and that's a big strength for, for anybody in politics. Well, he's Whereas, their best. I mean, he... oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. He is definitely. And I think he's positioning himself to come absolutely. back. Absolutely. And, and, I, I, sorry, on you go. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to speak over you, but absolutely, I've been saying this since well before he left. <laughs> as Vicky, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> they're going to have him back, and they're definitely positioning him now to come back. Well, well, definitely, you can see it coming. I mean, Sunak is installed. That uh, he was rejected twice by the members, and he's he's deeply unpopular within his own party. Um, what, yeah, what, what people sometimes fail to forget is that these conservative associations that are up and down the length and breadth of the country, of which I used to be a part, they're fairly traditional and they're fairly old school. Uh, I mean, the association that I used to be in with, I mean, I was I was far younger than, than most of them. Uh, the, the, some of them were ancient, you know, and I don't, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but they really had seen the best of, of times, you know, and, and but getting new blood in was, was really hard. So it's a difficult, uh, a difficult sell for a, a candidate in, in a situation like that. But I hear what you're saying. And I think that um, what, we've, what, what we've been witnessing, and, and I'm sure I know you're over in America, I know you're keeping things very much close to, your, to what's going on uh, in Britain, 
but what's happening in Northern Ireland with the protocol is a huge, big issue, and it's getting worse. And Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, who is the leader of the DUP, the, the, the Democratic Ulster Party, they, they, they are a very, sorry, the Democratic Unionist Party, they are, they are very upset at the, what they perceive as being a sellout of, of Brexit, because what's happening there, Jennifer, is you've got a situation where um, EU law, because for those of you who don't know, Northern Ireland is actually considered to be British territory, and the unionists are very upset at the fact that EU law is now going to be imposed on British territory. And of course, I'm very upset about that as being a unionist as well, because we voted to leave. It was a democratic vote. We should have left, but it didn't quite get there. Boris did get us part of the way, but when it came to Northern Ireland, it, the door was kind of left open for the EU to sneak back in. And most of my colleagues, I was on LTN radio earlier on with a, a former colleague of mine, an MEP called James Freeman, and another MEP called June Mummery, who is very, very good on the, the British fishing. And we were talking about it, you know, and we're all extremely upset at, at what has been going on. But there is, a, there is a plan behind all of this. And I think that's what people don't sometimes really, really uh, realise. Um, and there's some, there's some very powerful, very wealthy entities who are, um, shall we say, looking carefully at, at what they are, are wanting to see happening. And at your point, they want people in those positions that they can do business with. So let's put it that way. Um, they, they will either agree to being paid or funded or, or whatever, or they've got something on somebody, you know. Um, whereas kind of people like Nigel Farage, who are, who are a little bit more independent, kind of uh, harder to control, as it were, may very well be sidelined. So, you know, I take it, I take it on board what you're saying there. Yeah, well, fascinating. I'd love to, you know, keep talking to you about this, but I realize we're, you know, a good portion through our way on the call, and I want to make sure that we can talk about 15-minute cities and then open the floor. So for those of you raising your hand to speak, just hang on a minute. We're going to open the floor for questions in a bit. But, Jim, I've been seeing you tweet a lot. Uh, we spoke about Andrew and you know, when, when that first, you know, some of the vaccine stuff, you've been very vocal on Twitter about it. And then when I saw you very vocal about the 15 minute cities, um, you know, recently after the protest, I, you know, got in touch. I wanted to kind of talk to you about uh, that whole issue. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you and I have been talking for the last few months off and on, Jennifer, and I very much appreciate the, the content that you put out there. Um, and, and that's right. I, I guess, you know, I've been pretty vocal, pretty outspoken on the whole vaccine thing, the whole mRNA technology, my concerns about it and the very fact that people were trying to force other people to take a medical procedure that was completely untested and untrialed. And uh, I was deeply upset about that. But uh, 15 minute cities. Yeah, 15 minute cities. And um, I mean, I've got a pinned tweet that's doing rather well at the moment, uh, talking, and I've had others as well. In fact, some of my best tweets were, were to do with this. But, but basically, 15-minute um, cities. If, if you take in England at the moment, for example, in a, in a city called Oxford, they are looking at carrying out a trial, and it's to be completed by 2024, and they're going to split the city into six zones. And those zones are going to be controlled uh they're going to put in i believe facial recognition cameras 
so they can identify you. They will put in a number plate rec number plate recognition technology. So if you're in a vehicle, they will they will know who you are. And if you leave those zones, I believe it's more than 100 times in a year, you're going to get fined. Uh, I don't know what those fines will be, um, but you know it's abhorrent. Uh, I'm a I'm a freedom fighter, Jennifer. I always have been. I've always believed in in bodily autonomy, and I've always believed in freedom of thought and freedom of action. And this just simply goes against everything I believe in. And I, I've been very, very outspoken about it. Um, but, you know, it, it's fine to to talk about things. But then sometimes, you know, you have to be prepared to take actions on it as well. And I don't I appreciate times going on. And I, I appreciate, you, you, you know, the, you've got listeners that would ask me questions. So I won't go into it too much. But I would encourage anybody that wants to know a little bit more about my background, go onto my Twitter feed. And, and I think you've put, you very kindly, Jennifer, you put my Twitter handle, I think, into the, the bio, didn't you? Um, so anybody wants to go on to that, you'll see my pinned tweet. I made a video and it's doing the rounds. It's, uh, I, I think it's not far off 200,000 views at the moment. I don't think it's quite, has it gone viral? I don't know if that's classed as viral or not, but it's doing quite well. And there's a lot of people following me and I, I've set up uh, 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 sort of a, a channel for people to get in contact with me and to sort of discuss what the next steps might be. I've got a plan, which I can't reveal fully at the moment, but let's just say I'm talking to somebody. It would blow your mind if you realized who I was talking to, uh, because this person is connected to somebody very closely who is probably one of the most powerful people on the planet. And they're deeply upset, as, as a lot of us are, at what's been going on. And, and I'll leave it at that. So, look, uh, watch this space, Jennifer, and, and I know that you and I will be keeping in contact. So if anything more concrete happens, uh, you'll probably be one of the first to know. I mean, Jim, as a businessman, have you come across any um, – thank you for that. And, yes, we, you know, for everybody, just I'll, I'll repost some of your tweets again for anybody who's – uh, trying to find out more there, but uh, <laughs> do you mean Nigel Farage? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm a huge fan of Nigel. Uh, uh, he was very good to me in my campaign in Barnes East. He popped up several times, and you know, Nigel's like a rock star. He's like a superstar. Whenever he goes, wherever he goes, people <laughs> flock to him. But no, th this is this is this is completely on another level. Uh, okay. and, I, and, and, and if it happens, uh, you're going to you're going to remember this conversation. You go, gee whiz, Jim wasn't kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Well, Jim, I mean, you're definitely not kidding because you're standing on the right side of history. This, this is going to blow, you know, disintegrate and massively backfire. Um, I think as more people start seeing the barricades, they start noticing the cameras, they start feeling the creep. Right. Like when they're suddenly asked. You know, to, to I heard this expression the other day. I love it. Soft branch off to which they sit, you know, and I I this and I'm like, I wanted to ask the businessmen. I mean, I, I really am scratching my head. Is there any financial reason to do? Is there any business case? Has anyone presented, you know, this is the justifiable way of or is it really just being whored about as, you know, save the planet? environmental yeah. have you seen anything like that because i have not and that's 
I haven't, Jennifer. There, there's absolutely no business case for 15-minute sit-ins. Uh, absolutely none, zero, zilch. Basically, in fact, it's going to be worse for businesses because you've got what you call in America mom-and-pop stores. And over here, we, 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 know, we, we call them slightly different, but it's the same idea. You've got high street businesses. And what you have to remember, and people sometimes forget this, is that 75% of the taxes raised in this country, in fact, I think it might be higher, I think it's maybe nearer 80% of the taxes raised in this country come from small and medium-sized businesses. It's not the big corporations that everybody's heard of. They, 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 are, they actually have a very small uh, amount of money that's coming in in comparison to everybody else. So if you're imposing 15-minute zones, um, you're going to completely destroy those smaller uh, and to medium-sized businesses. So if anything, the, there is, there's a business case against them, certainly not for them. What's really driving these things, Jennifer, would appear to be this whole narrative on the climate. We've got to save the world. Uh, we're all going to die in 10 years' time if we don't do this. And, you know, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. There's enough science out there to show that, yes, climate change is real. It's cyclical. And there are all sorts of reasons for that, even on the, the, the even in the planets that, 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 that are around us in our solar system, that there are changes taking place on them. And the last time I looked, there was no SUVs on Mars. So look, at the end of the day, uh, there is no business case at all for it. This, what's really behind this, Jennifer, is control of people. And what I will say is, before we take any questions, this is part of UN Agenda 21-2030. And anybody that's interested or, or wants to, I've got a copy of it right here in front of me. It'll blow your mind. I'm sure you're, you're aware of it. But basically, they're talking about it starts off with a one world government, goes all the way through to the end of fossil fuels and everything in between. Um, they're talking about the end of all privately owned property. They're talking about the end of all uh, vehicle ownership, uh, restricted land use that serves human needs. They want the end of, uh, or sorry, the, the imposition of human settlement zones. You know what it sounds like to me, Jennifer? It sounds to me like we're just being treated like a bunch of cattle getting herded into a, an area. And I just hate to think of what they've got planned. Yeah, that's the image I always use. You know, the human cattle ranchers kind of corralling us between paddocks. And uh, I, I mean, I, I'm curious, when you speak to MPs and people within the government, this is, I mean, do they just blindly acknowledge or you know, use knowledge like sustainable development goals? I mean, this is straight from the freaking UN, you know, the United Nations, the World Health Economic Conspiracy. Do they just see it as this one track amazing and engage in any other conversation about it? Well, we've seen what happened to the Conservative Member of Parliament in Westminster in London, Andrew Bridgen, when he went into the chamber. I actually watched him going into the chamber live to, to raise concerns about the vaccination of children down to, I think it was down as low as uh, six months old. And um, he was right to, to raise those concerns because he was quoting data from uh, scientific journals. It was peer reviewed. It was, it was the proper stuff. And in that, it, the first thing that, that, that struck me in the chamber was how few MPs were in there. And I did a post on that. And of course, I contrasted it with the, the chamber when they were voting for a pay rise for themselves. So when Andrew's in there talking about children being harmed, there's none of them in there. When they're talking about a pay rise for all the MPs, 
it's standing room only. I think that basically sums up the kind of quality of calibre of people we've got running our country. And I'm sure this is the same all over the world. Um, they're self-serving, self-enriching, pretty unpleasant people. Not all of them. And there are decent MPs, I think, probably in fairness, in, in, in all of the parties. But unfortunately, they're in a minority. And uh, I, spoke, I speak to people and I'm friends with people in, in all sorts of different um, political persuasions. And I know a lot of them. But, you know, it's the old story, Jennifer. If, if they raise their head too far above the parapet, they're going to get it shot off. And we've seen what happened to Andrew Bridgen. And Andrew Bridgen was only raising genuine concerns. And by the way, what people don't realise with Andrew is he's actually vaccine injured. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you exactly what's wrong with him. But he's he's been vaccine injured. And I believe he has to take medication now for the rest of his life. So he's got every reason to question the narrative on mRNA technology and the, the rollout of vaccines. And do you um, think since him, since he started speaking out, able to reach anyone at all within the members of parliament? I mean, has anybody uh, been able to listen to him? Without breaking confidences, uh, I'd, I'd probably have to say, well, I, I would say probably not. Um, but, but one thing that, that I think is worth mentioning, because <clears throat> nobody else has picked up on this, but I, I study I study things. And, and one of the things, he, one of the very first interviews he did, he talked about the security services. And just for anybody that doesn't understand who, who the security services are, we're talking in Britain, we're talking MI5 uh, or MI6, or, or they're, they're collectively known as the SIS, which is the Security Intelligence Services. And there's more than just MI5 and MI6. You've got GCHQ, you've got listening posts, and you've got all sorts of other offshoots of that. In America, you've got, I guess it's the, the NSA, you've got the CIA, you know, sort of the alphabet type. I think you've got a lot more different types over there. But basically... I, and I'm, I'm guessing it, he wouldn't have had contact, I don't think, at his level with MI6. They're, they're, they're pretty different the way they operate. But MI5, absolutely. They, they have regular contact with MPs and business people, um, sometimes for, for good reason. Not, nothing nefarious about it. And it's possible, I think, it, when he talks about the security services, he'll be talking about MI5. Now, he apparently, he, he, he'd had this contact uh, as, as early as August in 2019, uh, warning him that they had been told this was on its way. Now, if you remember right, this didn't really become a thing, I think, until, what was it, January or February 2020? But they had been given warnings about this as early as August 2019. And then again, from another source uh, in September. But the other thing that nobody else has picked up on is this. Apparently, according to what he said, he had been told by the security services that they had been instructed not to take the vaccines. So there you go. What do you think of that? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, so, so, and, and I spoke about that. Uh, it, it'll be in my channel. You know, it's not pinned. I've got another one pinned up there just now. But I went into, did a video uh, and that, that went, that did. I think that got up to, I don't know, 500,000 views or something or, or near 600. I can't remember exactly now, but that went bananas. And because uh, I broke it down and I and I, I, I went into it in detail because I explained in that video that if the security services knew that the pandemic was on its way and that they were not to take vaccines in 2019 and, and halfway through the year in August, then I can tell you now the prime minister most definitely would have known and probably uh, I would say 
at least several members of his cabinet. So they must have known what was happening. They must have known. They, they, they couldn't possibly have the security services who report to the Prime Minister, ultimately, uh, and, and not for him not to know that. And, of course, that actually was Boris uh, at the time. Yeah, I mean, he's not someone that I would ever entrust any kind of medical advice with. So there might have been things that they told him to keep, like, you know, I've seen it firsthand. Like, they just kind of keep yeah. minimally share things with him and just tell him where to go, what to say. It was absolutely cringeworthy the way they manhandled him. And I, you know, recently have called him out for being a billionaire boy toy, hanging out in Knightsbridge and Chel. I mean, that's, these are places that I wouldn't want to be in either you know he likes true english neighbor i mean whatever but he's kept in these kind of billionaire flats it's like you know and it's interesting because i've i've noticed an uptick of journalists like you know that have contacted me this week last week there's about four that i've spoken to and so i'm like can you want to just tell me when he's when the when they're going to come bring him back i mean seriously like <laughs> i'm like you know, and that's why when people are like, no way. And I'm like, you don't. I, 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 I'll tell you, I'm not a betting person. I don't bet. I, I, I take I take calculated risks with things in business, but I never bet. But I'll tell you what, uh, I, I, I probably would put a flutter or a, a, a decent one that Boris is going to come back. When? Uh, well, that, that, that depends on a few things, I guess. But I don't see Sunak staying in position for that much longer. I think that there will be a challenge. In fact, I... I saw Boris talking about some things to do with Northern Ireland and the protocol today. So uh, he started. You, you, you know, you are absolutely right. Boris will be back. <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I have people. Have, I, oh, man. All right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, not that I'm I'm cheering this on by any means, but it is. I mean, it's something that does affect me. I can tell when I start getting more calls, you know, from the journalists. I can tell when they start fishing and like, you know, hunting for things and looking, you know, it's just, it's a, and this is the world we live in. Now, uh, between you and I, I don't believe any of this, uh, you know, climate change nonsense and rhetoric was ever Boris's cup of tea. In fact, I knew he thought it was all bollocks and bullshit. And, you know, he was quite vocal about it. I mean, these are his words. Um, the LGBT stuff was not his cup of tea. He wouldn't have, you know, and so I just see him being, again, handed the script and told, you know, do this and that. And, you know, personally, I believe, you know, we can talk about the plan. You're, you know, uh, I want to open the floor up for questions. I mean, look, 15 minute cities will require everybody, you know, kind of standing up and saying no, you know, because it's 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 a non-issue until it comes to your area. You know, I would argue I live in a 15-minute city. We don't need any of this nonsense, you know, and we can see plans in the U.S. roll out, you know, 15 cities now are on board and they're trying, but this will never work in the United States. Oh, my gosh, we have so much space. This will never, ever, ever, ever work, categorically never. And when I, you know, and I have lived in England long enough, you know, to know that it, it, there's already enough congestion and faffery and BS surveillance nanny state that I think the people, especially after the last year, three years, have gotten to a point where this is really just not okay. Now, sure, most are talking about Love Island and, you know, sleepwalking through life, but it's not about needing 99% of the pot. That would happen. That would, that would definitely certainly make this whole process faster. 
But we've seen over the last three years that it is really just that due diligence, that push back, push back, not going away, keep going back, you know, keep getting out there and protesting. If you've got a grand plan and a solution from the people, you know, someone all you trust on high, careful they're not controlled opposition and part of the plan and used as a disguise as yet another distraction, all right? Um, but, you know, this is why. <laughs> first approached me with Andrew, I was like, just let's make sure this guy's legit. You know, that's it. I think the people really want a legit, you know, a person to come out and speak for them and, and not play this game of, of, you know, all hail world government. Um, and so where we, you know, corralling everybody, getting to agree to this stupid 15 minute, I mean, it makes no logical sense at all. Um, with that, I'd like to, you know, do you have any comments you want to make to that and then we can open up to the floor just two uh jennifer i mean i mean number eight on the 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 un agenda 2030 mission goals i'll just read it very quickly to you it's the um the depopulation control of population growth and population density i, I that, that, i'm not making that up that's actually on their website and the other one that uh, i think is, is tying into the 15 minute cities is when they're talking about i think i mentioned it earlier on about corralling people into, you know, human beings concentrated into human settlement zones and cities. So what what they're looking to do is to wipe out the end of private farms and grazing livestock. OK, that's that's how oh, I've, I've done many, many points it's near the bottom of the agenda. So basically what I think they're looking at is getting everybody off the land and into a city. And that's where you'll find your zones kick in universal basic income, they're wanting to get rid of cash, CBDC, central bank digital currency. My goodness, I could go on about this all night. <laughs> yeah, this is part of their plan. And But, you know, there's ways, I don't know, Jim, there's, I speak quite vocally about the CBDC and the implementation of and understanding this kind of from a different perspective than most. So maybe I'll send you a link or two of why that I can laugh at and, you know, snub my nose at that as well. Um, okay. But Having said that, I, again, for everything that we are seeing, we absolutely need that pushback. And that's you know, you'll see on the channel. I've been uh, posting quite a bit about the digital ID. You know, again, the gimmick there, they one that this was a you know brand new technology and we can do this now because of this and this and we need it now. COVID and look and, you know, all this. And it's just, no, that's absolute nonsense. Security world. This technology has been around for ages, if not de you know decades, um, and the, it has always been the public pushback, right? And that we didn't need a majority then, but now it's like they've ramped it up. You know, the stakes are raised. People are much more on edge. You know, razor, and they're going to use scare tactics. You know, next up aliens, right? They're going to do whatever they can to get everybody okay. Um, and this is why we have to be redundant in our discussions like you know be so fluent in the pushback you know so that we are ready for when this happens we too aren't you know caught off guard we anticipated this do this now we're going to make sure that this stops where it is you know how far they get 15 minutes, i don't know i mean watch it fall on its face you're going to see people with traffic jams moaning they're not going to get to work school all kinds problems with healthcare. I mean, we'll see it. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that one or two beta tests adoption, although they are putting that in that as if that's real. I mean, none of these 15 minute cities are easy to order. Um, 
uh, and as we're seeing it, the boxes are themselves. Listen, I realize I'm rambling. We've been talking for an hour. Is there anybody here that want to, you know, add this conversation? I know we had some hands up earlier. Uh, love to oh, turn it over to the floor. Vicky, did you have anything? Um, not directly, just that it's it's quite encouraging to see some of the local rallies starting to pick up a bit of pace and to see the efforts of some, uh, you know, especially in around Oxford, moving planter bollards and things like that. Um, you know, the frontline fighters uh, paving the way for everybody who's starting to wake up and hopefully, obviously, everybody coming together will this, you know, with this, um, we'll, we'll stop the spread as much as we can. So that's quite nice to see. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to add to that, I mean, one of the one of the movements that, that are moving on that is called the the Together Declaration, um, the Together Movement. I actually am personal personally connected to one of the founders of that. I joined the movement of a couple of months ago, two three months ago, I think it was. So I know them very well. I actually worked with a lady who, who is one of the founders in the Brexit Party, who who uh, was very good to me. Um, you know, so that is definitely people are pushing back. One of the things that you mentioned, uh, Jennifer, was the word resilience and um that that that's quite impactful from my point of view i i used to uh, in in another we're wearing another i used to wear lots of different hats i used to chair alongside the emergency planning officer in in the city where i i was in at the time we used to hold meetings with the police the local authority with the uh, fire and rescue ambulance service um healthcare various other people to do with you know emergency and resilience planning and that took place in a nuclear bunker um, on the bottom floor, which was quite far underground. So that was always fun going down into that. But, um, you, you know, there are there are pushbacks happening. But one of the things that I'm looking to do is to form a network and to get teams of people in place and to identify. At the moment, we're looking at identifying the councillors who are trying to push this agenda forward and ensuring that they are deselected or at least knocked out of office at the next uh, local elections. So that's one of the things that I'm looking at doing is actively targeting. When I say targeting, I don't mean doing anything bad to them in terms of anything illegal or, or harassment or anything like that. I would never entertain it. But I'm talking about identifying these councillors, local councillors, and, 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 and it might be different in America. You Maybe you call them to something different, Jennifer, but we call them councillors in, in, in local government here in Britain. And basically... Those, whether they're conservatives, whether they're liberal Democrats, whether they're Labour, whatever they might be, if they're for 15 minute cities, then, you know, let's hand them their P45. And do you think the more we protest, the more we're growing awareness, just speaking and leafleting, you know, doing the good old fashioned campaign? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you think that how effective that will that be? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, the the old fashioned campaigning, knocking on the door, holding rallies, getting out into the streets with a stall, handing out leaflets. These things do work. Um, and if you do it in a professional way, you know, you explain what you're concerned about, because what you have to remember is that we're all up against a very slick marketing operation uh, that's very, very, very well funded by um, very powerful, very wealthy globalists. Who, who are uh, very keen to push this agenda forward. So, you know, we've got to come together as a community, whatever we can. And but that's why I alluded to something earlier on where I'm talking to somebody that, that's going to be in a position to probably take that forward. 
But uh, I mean, certainly everything that can be done should be done. It's about waking people up is what we need to do. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds a great. Stephen, can you hear me? Did you have a question? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, are there a couple of things you, you'd said at the start with the lockdown files about, you know, you, you'd said, oh, if they were on Wi-Fi or not. I can tell you that WhatsApp is encrypted, at least from your phone, all the way to Facebook servers. And so for them to get those screenshots, Matt had to give them the screenshots or they have to have a hack in Facebook. And as far as I know, Facebook really does not want to let people know that they could potentially decrypt their messages that are on, held on the central server. So I suspect Matt had to give that. And what I find very interesting is in Ireland, just this weekend, we had basically another limited hangout where it was stuff that had been sat on for four months. And I find it very coincidental that we have all these limited hangouts. I think there's even one going on in Germany as well. My German isn't quite good enough to, to read it properly. And we seem to have them all this week. Why is it all this week? And why are they saying, oh, there was bad stuff happened, but you know, the vaccines were really good. And I think it's got to be, they're trying to hold on to the vaccines, these mRNA crap as the thing and let everything else fall. And I think that's that. So that, that's one thing. I don't know if, if what, what you think about that. And then I've one or two other things to, to mention. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen, I, I, I agree with you. That is my understanding of WhatsApp. And, and that was why I felt that he had to have given those, given her access, Isabel Wokenshot, she had to have been given access to it. I mean, I know that the Israelis have uh, software that, that, that their security services have have used. I think it was a private company that developed it, but I think Mossad, the Mossad and others were able to use it and have been using it to penetrate and to crack into uh, WhatsApp uh, messages. But uh, it's still, you know, my understanding is you're absolutely spot on with that. Yeah, I think that's, I think Mark Hancock had to have given her access to his phone or, or his WhatsApp account. And I'm sure that's what happened. Now, now, the other thing then is with regards to the climate change and, and all these different things, what, what most people may not realize is CO2 is really good at absorbing, but it only absorbs at three or four very narrow frequencies. And those frequencies, if you take the radiation of heat from the surface of the earth, by the time you've gone up 250 meters, those four bands are fully saturated. They've absorbed everything that they can and they can't absorb anymore. So going the rest of the way up, it makes no difference. If you double CO2, you change it from 250 meters to 125 meters, but you've still absorbed everything before you get anywhere. So all these people going on about, oh, if we increase CO2, it's going to cause all this sort of stuff. It's just a physical impossibility for it to do anything because everything's absorbed. When you're 250 meters up, everything coming from the ground is absorbed. If you're coming down from the sky, if you go from 15 kilometers to 14 kilometers at 400 ppm, that's enough to completely saturate those bands. So you aren't getting any more heat from the sun as that comes in. So all of this blaming of CO2 is just a socialized excuse to try and drive these 15 minute cities to drive killing off real food and farming and all this sort of stuff. And the more information you look into it, the more you see real food is actually what drives health, not the processed ultra stuff. So like everything seems to be about making our health worse, our lives shorter and our entire existence 
will be slaves to medication. And everything on this, we have to resist. That's what we have to resist. It's all interconnected. Um, that, that's kind of it. I've tried to sum it up as much as I can, but basically that's it. Well, well, Stephen, there's there's nothing you said there that I don't uh, that I don't agree with. In fact, I agree with everything. Uh, as uh, somebody that, that does a bit of farming, uh, I can also tell you that what people don't sometimes realise, they go on about livestock like animals, you know, cattle and sheep and whatever. But actually, when they are planting crops, when you're when you're taking the crops up, that actually releases a great deal of CO two into the atmosphere as well. Uh, and, and but you never hear about that. But but yes, I mean, more CO2 usually equals greener, more life sustaining environments, to be quite honest. And um, you obviously have a much more knowledgeable than I am about the, the atmosphere levels. But I, I have no doubt about uh, what you're saying. And I, I think that it is definitely an agenda. I don't think it's real. I think it's an excuse simply to drive these 15 minute control zones. It's all about controlling people. That's really what this is all about. I could give a bunch of papers and I could take people through it, but it would drive people numb. Uh, but like, I tried to pick the, the point about it that there, there's like 10 ways I can knock CO2 as being responsible for anything. But that one is to me the most salient. And I have a PhD in physical chemistry. Um, so I do know this stuff in terms of absorption of CO2. So that's something I know well. Anyway, I'm done. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Back to you then, Jennifer. Matthew. Hi, sorry. Uh, Jennifer just asked me to wade in about the point around somebody saying you couldn't hack WhatsApp or other social media platforms. Um, just to be clear about, about um, capabilities and, and hacking that even though you believe end-to-end -end encryption is unfallible and everything else, I can guarantee you that any technology you believe is unhackable can be hacked. In fact, the fact that people think that there is unhackable technology out there is a deceitment in itself. And when you talk about end-to-end um, you know, -end encryption, you need to understand that the government agencies have developed millions and millions of dollars into attacks where they can silently add a key into a stream in real time. So you're on your mobile phone, you're sending your encrypted message, and they can literally circumvent the security controls, gain access to your device, and see the contents of those messages if they want, and there's enough money involved to do it. Um, it really is a numbers game, and it really is a resources game. If you look at the technologies that are out there, Skype for Business, Microsoft Team, WhatsApp, Viber, uh, Facebook, Signal, any of these technologies which are often marketed to you as security solutions give you a kind of false premise that they can still be secure. Um, you know, you may need to take into account operational security guidelines and also resources of your adversary. So saying that, you know, WhatsApp can't be encrypted because mathematically on paper it can't be broken. Well, one-time pads mathematically on paper can't be broken, but you can still decrypt the communication with the pad. And the same is true today of modern technologies, is that no matter what you think is safe and secure, sometimes it's a marketing gimmick. It's designed as a way to make you feel like, oh, this chat's encrypted, but actually how safe and secure is your communications? You know, be very, very careful of what you entrust when it comes to security because it is possible with enough funding, enough resources to bypass any of those controls. So I'm just waiting that in there as my point in relation to computer hacking because I was asked uh, to provide some input on that subject. So I'll bow back out and hand you back over to Jennifer I, now. I just one question for you. Do you think a reporter is gonna have access to that technology? Yeah, they can buy it just like everybody else. I mean, this is we're not talking about something that's mega expensive. You know, with the right equipment, the right van, and what kind of what what are you expecting to do? Like investigative journalism. You know, people buy this stuff. In fact, the phone hacking scandal 
happened before. Politicians and prime ministers and uh, celebrities are just as much vulnerable to these kinds of technological attacks as anybody else. There was recently a gang of five individuals arrested in Paris, in the center of Paris, with interception equipment that used to cost millions of dollars, and they bought it on the black market secondhand for less than 50 grand. You know, so it is not outside the realms of criminal gangs, not outside the realms of governments, not outside the realms of individuals. So you do have to be careful. So if you trust in trusting these technologies, they go, oh, WhatsApp, who's going to watch my WhatsApp messages? Well, you never know. There's always someone listening. You might think you're safe, but in reality, you're not. That's why it's very, very important to make a distinguished effort to say, no, you shouldn't trust any technologies. Thanks, Jennifer. I was just going to say to Matthew's point, um, you're, you're, you're bang on. Um, my, I mean, for example, um, I can think of, I can't remember his real name, but he, he was a member of the mafia in America. Um, he went by the name of the Teflon Don, I think. But the reason they got him was because, I think we're going back 20, 25 years ago, maybe something like that. Yeah, they, they were able to, you know, when he went into meetings to do drug deals or to discuss what, what business operations they were going to do, he, he would turn his mobile phone off because he wasn't that stupid. But what he didn't realize was that as long as the battery was connected, they were actually able to listen in on that. And that's, co that's common knowledge. I mean, that's old technology now. So you're quite right, Matthew, what you're saying. But what, what I will say is, I think that Matt Hancock isn't too smart. And I don't think they needed to spend a lot of money to dupe him into showing Isabel Oakenshot his mobile phone or his, his, his WhatsApp on his computer. I think he's stupid. And I think that's probably what happened here. But, you know, I'm sure it will all come out in the wash. But, yeah, yeah, good advice. Watch out for technology because uh, there's all sorts of things in play. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to just make sure that I didn't want anybody to think I was misspeaking there because there are, I mean working directly with, you know, formerly in another life. And Matthew, you know, did with what with the UK government, there are always attacks that can bypass. Now, whether Isabel was funded or had the resource to do such an attack, you know, whatever, but it is possible, right? So that's, that's why we're just kind of talking about that. But it is bizarre that this woman comes out with all these you know, and honestly, Hancock, I mean, you could literally wind him up and blow him any direction you want. I mean, he just, he'll go, like, just push him and he'll just wind up and go. Like, he'll repeat what you tell him and do as he'll, you say. I mean, he's he's changed his, uh, you know, spot so many times, uh, you know, whether he's DMS, cybersecurity or education or health, you know, it's whatever he can get, really. Um, and he, you know, does the script quite well. So I don't think he's very smart at all. Again, another one to, that is easily controlled, easily blackmailed. Yeah. Um, you know, whether he went out and had a conversation with Isabel and showed her his phone and she took pictures or, you know, literally said here, you know, then you have to wonder what else is meant to come out. You know, if these are archived, you know, are there more to, you know, so is it, it let it, you know, lean the public this way and then we bring out a you know, plot twist. We'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, just to add to that, Jennifer, you're spot on. I, I, I suspect, I did hear, I could be wrong, but I did hear that she had oh, thousands of these messages with various different people on his WhatsApp. I, I suspect he's given her the password. He signed an NDA, probably thinking that that was going to keep him safe. Uh, you're right. You, you know, he's, he's pretty low, low intelligence. I mean, quite honestly, how he, how he ended up in the cabinet. But then again, He's easy controlled, as you say. Um, that, that's how I think probably it happened. I don't think I don't think there was anything more than that. But I could be wrong. Um, I don't know enough about it. But I would imagine with somebody like Hancock, he would be pretty easy to uh, 
yeah, you'd be pretty easy to get that from, to be honest, I think. And I think what's important, guys, just to bring it back to the 15 cities, um, you know, spotting the people that are making career moves on the, you know, the back of these propaganda trains, you know, and, and shutting them down, like your idea of, you know, the people that are promoting it, the now to kind of squash them, you know, before being reelected, you know, getting people to stand and get out there again uh, to get vocal. Um, because I think, you know, I think we're, it's tiring that we're the same old, old conspiracy theories. I mean, they've really spun these, some of the propaganda pieces from Australia, Britain, Canada, I've been seeing it, even the U.S., uh, the U.K., so, you know, getting out there and, and being vocal at the protests, but then also staying and trying to replace some of these people would be my thought. Well, well, that's exactly my, my plan. And um, I should say that once we if, if, if we can get this really going and it's going to require a fair bit of organization, financing, funding and everything else, because what I'm planning to do is far, far, far bigger than than you might think. And um, I don't just, well, what, what I'm looking at is, is not just local government, local councillors. I'm, I'm talking about doing this to the whole political class. So uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be very unpopular if I actually manage to pull this off, because I'm talking about taking out these people who are trying to impose authoritarian, dictatorial type measures on freedom loving people. As far as concerns, a fair game, but I will quantify that by saying I'm talking about taking their jobs off them by having them knocked out at the next election, not doing anything nefarious or, or illegal. Uh, I'm totally against anything like that. You know, as far as blacking out their, uh, uh, you know, like drivers, you know, plates, and I've seen a few videos on this and, you know, kind of uh, boycotting the system. I mean, are we already seeing people working around the system? You know, the, oh, yeah. the more they pre put up the gates. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and um, people are talking about blocking out their, their number of plates. They're talking about all sorts of things. But what you must always cast your mind back. And, and I think it's slightly different, but don't don't underestimate what they're capable of. And I think we all must be mindful of that. And that is that, um, do you remember during the height of lockdowns and forcing it? I was horrified by things that I saw happening in Australia, for example. I mean, Dan Andrews in Victoria, the state of Victoria, is absolutely a maniac. I mean, the, the power went completely to that man's head. He was having people rugby tackled, uh, women, uh, and, and I don't mean young women, I'm talking about middle-aged or older women, uh, pepper sprayed in the face while they were actually on the ground. You know, real brutality. Uh, don't underestimate what the, the authoritarian state has got in mind. But we've we've got to resist, because if we don't, these 15-minute cities are going to turn into open-air prisons. How uh, familiar, familiar, familiar are you with the idea of, you know, once you become into a certain level of power, you are replaced? Well, I mean, it's the old pyramid structure, really, isn't it? You know, um, who, who's really at the top and, and where, where does it all fit in together? Um, there, there's all sorts of, of theories to do with that, Jennifer. And I mean, I'm, I'm well aware of, of a number of organizations, the Trilateral Commission, you've got the Bilderbergers, you've got Davos, you've got all of that, but it's all interconnected. Um, I mean, it, it was interesting, actually, at the last Davos meeting, 
where there was some rumours that uh, Klaus Schwab was actually, they had the knives out for him. And what you have to remember is you're dealing with people that are kind of akin to the mafia. You're talking about really very ruthless people. And if they um, they see an opportunity, and remember Klaus Schwab's getting on now, I think is he, was he 84 or something along those lines? Um, who, who knows? But I don't even know that he's really the one that's, that's, that's really behind it. I think he's, it, it's almost bizarre how they get somebody with, with a thick German accent that clearly looks like an evil genius to front it all. And yet, I, I, I don't know that that's not just part of the plan to, you know, that he's not just a fall guy. Um, I think there's powers that, that are behind the scenes that you don't even know about, uh, if I'm being really honest. Absolutely. Absolutely, there is. Um, and have you found some of your friends within the Tory party have changed over the past few years? I mean, what's your relationship been like with them, with former campaigners, etc.? Uh, uh, very civilised. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, they know that I left and joined the Brexit party, which raised a few eyebrows. And some said, well, why didn't you come and, you know, you know, change it from the inside sort of thing. I mean, I, I've been to 1922, 1922 uh, committee dinners. I've, I've, you know, been there with George Osborne, various, lots of other people I've, I've met uh, at these places. But at the end of the day, we have to do what we feel is right. And... I, I'm a bit of a, a, you know, I'm a free, a free spirit, uh, Jennifer, you know, and just because somebody's going to fill your bank balance with a million pounds or two million pounds or, and, and interestingly enough, look at Trudeau in Canada, look at uh, some of these other people like Jacinda Ardern, who when they went into office, you know, they might have had, I don't know, maybe 40, 50, 100, a couple of hundred thousand in the bank. Uh, now they've got 30, 40, 50 million in the bank. How did they get that? So it's pretty obvious to me, and I'm sure it's obvious to most people, that there are things going on behind the scenes that are not exactly on the up and up. And um, I think at the end of the day, corruption plays a huge factor in all of this. And there are probably, I think somebody either, it might have been yourself or somebody said earlier on that what we really need are people of integrity, people that can be trusted, people that can't be bought. And, you know, there's not a lot of the political class that, that are like that. And even some people that I've had a lot of admiration for, people like David Davis, people like John Redwood, um, even people like Ian Duncan Smith or, or others, you, 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 you don't see them. Uh, there was none of them there when Andrew Bridgen was in there, you know, uh, and that's very telling. And as I said to you, when they were voting for a pay rise, the, the place was standing room only. Uh, they, they weren't going to miss that, that was for sure. But when they're talking about vaccine harms to children, yeah, they just couldn't be bothered turning up. And one of the other things that Andrew did say in that first interview that I was referring to was that he'd got a bit of uh, a bit of hassle from some of his colleagues um, because they had gotten hassle from their constituents saying, hey, what's, what's this all about vaccine harms and mRNA technology? And why weren't you in there asking questions? So, you know, yeah. What we need is men and women of integrity and character. And unfortunately, we are too good at voting along party lines instead of looking more carefully at the individual candidates themselves, who they're associated with and what they really think. Because when they get into office, that's when you often see their true nature and character. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And they may have gone in one way and then the men in suits arrive. 
um, and tell them this is what they need them to do. Have you ever seen the Utopia 2014? I think it was Channel 4 that did it. I can't see I have, Jennifer, no. What was it called, Utopia? Yeah, you need to write this down and go watch it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so well, I mean, the English version, not the American, American Prime, or Amazon Prime. That was set with, you know, Cusack. It was, that was not as good. The old school, I think it was Channel 4 that did it in 2014. And there's just some really good scenes of them, those invisible people that we talked, you know, mentioned before, you know, yeah. where people in the health minister, they tell them what they say, and the health minister was, well, I can't say that. I'm going to be prime minister. I'm set to be, well, we don't need you to be prime minister. We need you to say this, right? And then it open a laptop, you know, of course, it's dramatic style or, you know, for theatrical films. But is it where, you know, they're, they tell the guy on walkie talkie to raise his hand and it's right behind the guy's wife, you know what I mean? Shopping at a, so you, you have to wonder how, how much of this goes on. I mean, I've spoken to so many journalists in the last week, one of which I said, look, why isn't anybody asking the question of how a man who was wiped out when his divorce is now, you know, being in West London for an 8 million pound, like, you know, all these speaker fees lined up. They just so happened, to, you know, line them up conveniently, right. As he stepped down, you know, are they not a way to say thank you? And where else, who else and why else are people, you know, where's the funding coming from every other day, this man's in the paper for another holiday given or special favor or, donation and let's you know <laughs> the tory party donors I and mean, there's all kinds of ways that that you know the corruption exists there so i mean it'll be interesting to see what ultimately brings them down this house of cards because this can't sustain i mean tradition or not there's got to be a turning you know that that tipping point where the people really do overthrow the government so they, ah. yeah I mean, I've been speaking to some some conservative um, subscribers to my channel. I was going to say colleagues, they're not colleagues. They're, they're people that subscribe who who are they are conservatives. And and I was saying to them, you know, you know, I'm not a former conservative uh, of the UK. Um, this is my reasons for for no longer being involved with them. Um, why why do you? And and they they say, well, and one of them one of them gave a very good reason, Jennifer. And and of course, this is used all the time by the Conservative Party, I mean, all the time. You know, well, we don't really like you, so we're, we're, that we have to vote for the least worst party. And the Conservatives are very good at playing on people. What, what they say to, to people is, well, you, you know, you like the Brexit Party, you like Reform UK, you like oh, whatever other ones that are, the Heritage Party and the ADF and Reclaim. Yeah, that's fine. But if you vote for them, you do realise that Labour's going to get in. And that, that worries people. People, because the Labour Party, for those in, in America that don't realise it, the Labour Party is a bit like the Liberal Demo uh, the, the Democrats, aren't they? They're, they're quite far to the left, some of them. And they're, they're completely off the scale, some of them. Starmer is the, the, the leader of the opposition, uh, Keir Starmer. And, I mean, somebody asked him, well, what's the definition of a woman? And he, he couldn't answer it, you know? Uh, is that really who we want as a Prime Minister? Well, no, God forbid. But that's the big stumbling block is who do we all vote for if we don't want to vote for a conservative party that is really very corrupt at the moment uh, there was a former chancellor just i mentioned this i mentioned this in my my um 
pinned tweet as well, uh, talking about him. Um, you, you know, he 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 basically got caught not paying his tax, and he said, "Oh, yeah, uh, oh, it was just I I forgot about it." You know, now that's fine, but but if if any of you you or I forgot to pay our tax, yeah, probably we're going to prison or or we're going to get really heavily dealt with. So there's a lot of corruption, and I, and I think it really is people are just so sick and tired of it. I had another conversation with somebody today, basically saying, well, look, maybe maybe the whole house of cards has to come down, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, Jennifer. And, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, what I'm planning to do is to tackle those people that just can't be trusted to be in office. <laughs> it's simple. You know, if you support 15-minute cities, we're going to, de- you know, we're not going to deselect you, but we're, we're going to stand against you and, and we're going to fund the, the opposition and we're going to get you out of there. And instead of necessarily voting along party lines, as I've said, maybe we need to look at the, the calibre of the candidates themselves, because I'm not so sure that this is really left and right about politics any longer. I think we've got to we've got to wake up to this. It's not left and right anymore. It's the right and wrong, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two wings, one bird. So, yeah, yeah. and at some point we have to start making a stand, but I mean, or we are making a stand, but I come to the point where this no longer sustainable and has to go, needs to end. Um, and that's, you know, really what this talk, you know, with 15 minute cities, um, you know, today, everything else, the digital ID, anything more of this attempt or grab that they're going to try from these two guys as politicians bought off and paid, you know, it's real. This this kind of stuff really does happen. So, you know, society that we are are living in, the question how long and, and how far let them go. So I appreciate everyone who joined us today and, and you know listened in and for Stephen, I'm sorry, uh, thanks for asking the question. Um, you know, if you want to find out more, start following Jim's tweets. I'll let you know what he's working on, but then, you know, also getting active with the other people that are doing great things. I'm sure UK sit as the others. So we'll be, you know, sending letters and, you know, rising up. I know they're going to try this, you know, class as well. So I'll have to be writing, you know, in Cleveland <laughs> and all the other 13 that they're trying it on, you know, just because the lead fight is global and you, know, you let one and, and they're, you know, the, as the headlines come out, um, I, I think they'll, I, I'm waiting for the, the broadband you know, the real push like they did with COVID when this first came out, that real like, wow, where'd all those sign from, you know, as they start kind of ramping up the idea of 15 minute cities. But who knows, maybe we'll go to nuclear war before the, the act of war. <laughs> well, don't even get me started on Zelensky. <laughs> That's probably for another yeah. night. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I'm delighted to have been uh, on the show tonight, Jennifer. I thoroughly enjoyed it really good questions and um, delighted to, to, to be here and very happy to come back again another time if you'd like to have me so. Sounds good and thank you everyone who listened in. Thank you Vicky. Um, again just to remind everyone uh, check out our links, check out the channel, look at through our other you know our past threads where we discuss things uh, and you know let us know you know if you want to know more about the minutes City, you know other speakers on and who else you want to hear from obviously like I said Paul you can always send a direct message or leave a note. Uh, but thank you, everyone. We will be putting this on Podbean. Right, Vicky? Yes. Faster than the last ones, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone. And a big round of applause. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on tonight and giving us your time. 
and we'll stay in touch. My absolute pleasure, Jennifer. Uh, good night and thank you. God bless. Thank you. Good night.